Amen. Thank you so much for that. Take your Bible tonight, please, and open to the book of Ephesians, the New Testament book of Ephesians, and go to chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read about three verses from that. I'd ask you to stand when you have that. Ephesians chapter 6. Now this year I've tried to preach on the subject of prayer once a month. And uh, the overall theme that I've been working on is taking the mystery out of prayer. And tonight we're going to learn how to pray for our family and for our friends. And so with your Bible open at Ephesians chapter 6, notice we'll be reading verse 12, verses 18 and 19. Ephesians 6, verse 12, 18 and 19. Let's read now together. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Well, boy, oh boy, if there's one thing that we're seeing more and more these days is Satan's attack on the family and on friends we know. That is really true. The battle is fierce. The devil plays for keeps. The Bible says that he walketh about as a roaring, what? Lion. Those things are dangerous the last time I checked. He walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may tickle under the arms. Tickle under the feet. Seeking whom he may what? Devour. Now that's nasty. And it's sad but true that many Christians have gotten sort of devoured, if you will, by Satan. You say, what does that mean? Well, I think the first thing Satan devours is their prayer closet. He gobbles that up so that they don't have any more time of reading the Bible and praying. He devours their, their Christian witness so that they don't let their light shine. Then he devours their church time. And maybe it's Sunday, uh, uh, maybe Sunday night goes first or maybe Wednesday goes. And then finally, it isn't long before Sunday morning is gone. The devil's a devourer. Let's never forget that. And he plays for keeps. Now, the, the Bible here says that God has listed amongst the Christian armor a tool called prayer. He's given us this so that we can survive and we can overcome the devil. I believe with all my heart that husbands and wives need to pray for each other. Parents and children need to pray for each other. Friends need to pray for each other. And if you look at uh, verse 19, Paul included himself, and for me. Now, we don't have to pray for Paul anymore. <laughs> He's great. He's up there. In fact, Tom Walker's shaking hands with him any time about now. Isn't that right? Yeah. So uh, one day we'll be there, but we're not there yet. And until we get there, we need prayer. And I need your prayer. I believe that uh, the devil goes after leaders. If he can take out a leader, he can often take out the whole organization. It's not always true, but it sure, it sure aids his cause. So pray for me. 
And maybe uh, you'll get some idea how to do that as we get into this. So tonight we're going to learn some practical things. We'll be looking at several scriptures on how we can pray effectively for family and friends. Let's bow our heads and begin with prayer. Now, our Heavenly Father, please help us. We admit to you our helplessness. We admit to you, Lord, how clumsy we are at prayer. We admit to you, Lord, how we're not faithful enough in our prayer closets. And so often we think we're too busy to pray, and so we just hasten out a couple of words, and off we go and out the door, and that's about it. Our Father, please help us. We're your children. Holy Spirit of God, please open the eyes of our understanding that we might see the the lost gems and treasures that we're missing and and willingly giving up the true riches in order to uh, grasp hold of uh, straw and wood and hay. Lord, help us tonight to pray. Please make prayer warriors out of us. With the days being dark, spiritually, Lord, surely the end is, is coming. Antichrist has got to be out there somewhere. And surely, Lord, we need prayer warriors more now than ever before. Lord, please use Grace Baptist Church. Please use us here in this church to be your prayer warriors, to pray for victory here in this town. This is a dark town we live in, Lord. There's a lot of sin in this town. Help us to be the light of Surrey and all of Canada and all of the world. And we'll praise and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please have a seat. We're going to uh, do this in three sections tonight. And the first section is five reasons why we should pray for each other. You know, these are almost three sermons in one that I'm giving you tonight. Look at that for the price of your money. A little bit of dry humor. But um, I want to give you five reasons. We're going to start. Now, we're not going to spend a long time on each one, okay? So it's a bit of the condensed version, but we're going to be looking at various scriptures, and I want you to see it for yourself in the Bible. Five reasons why we should be praying for each other. Number one, because prayer works. Prayer works. Say that with me. Prayer works. Now, let's go back to the Gospel of Luke. Well, that's easy to find. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And chapter 11, if you would, please. Luke chapter 11. And I'll get you to help me with the reading here. All right, Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. Luke 11, verse 9. Read it out loud together with me, please. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given unto you, given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. You see that? That word shall, it's not will, it's shall. Say, what's the difference? The word shall speaks of an obligation. The word will speaks of more of a desire for something to happen. But shall is an obligation. It's like in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, right? It's not thou wilt not, it's thou shalt not. There's an obligation. And what Jesus is teaching us here is that prayer works. Uh, Why would God have said it if he didn't mean it, right? He's not playing games with us. It's as plain as the print on the page here. Uh, Now, bear in mind, though, that it only works if it's done God's way. Prayer works. It does, it does, it does. But only if we do it God's way. If we do it our way, 
It ends in frustration. It ends in fruitlessness, time wasted. So five reasons. Number one, because prayer works. Number two, because it's the will of God. It's the will of God and God loves to answer prayer. And for this, we'll just turn a couple pages to the right to chapter 18 of Luke. Chapter 18 of Luke and verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. Read that out loud with me. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's the will of God. God told us his will. He sent Jesus to earth to uh, show us the Father and describe to us the will of God. And here Jesus has told us plainly two things now. Number one, prayer works. Number two, it's the will of God for you and I to pray and not to faint. That means don't stop praying. Um, again, we see it's the very will of God and he always blesses his will. Five reasons why we should be praying for each other. Number one, prayer what? Works. Number two, prayer is the will of God. Number three, because we can actually help people. We can actually really honestly help people by praying for them. For this, we'll go a couple pages to the right to Luke chapter 22. I sure hope you appreciate how I've put things together in such a convenient order for you because it isn't going to stay that way. <laughs> We're going to flip all over the Bible here. All right. Luke 22 and verse number 32. Now, here's the words of the Lord Jesus. Let's read them out loud together. Verse 32. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, by the way, some people think that what Jesus is saying is that Peter wasn't saved. And he's saying sometime in the near future, when you do get saved, when you do get converted, then you need to go and strengthen your brethren. And I've heard preachers say this, and God bless them. I don't agree with them. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying here. I think that Peter honestly really was saved. He was definitely, to my way of understanding the life of Peter, he got saved somewhere there in the first year or two of Jesus' earthly ministry, probably the first year, and he was a lover of Christ. Now, he made a lot of mistakes, mind you, but he loved the Lord. He backslid. Now, that happens. Sometimes Christians backslide, and they get away from the Bible, away from prayer, away from church. They backslide, but they need to get turned around, and that's the whole idea of being converted, to be converted, to get turned back. And so here, the Lord Jesus is teaching us that by prayer, we can help people. Did you know that from your prayer closet at home, you can reach completely around the world and help people? Did you know that? If you've got people who live in, in other parts of the world. Now, let me ask you, you can raise your hand in just a moment. How many here have friends or family that live in a country other than Canada? Raise your hand. That's almost everyone. You, in your prayer closet, can reach out and help them. If you know their needs, you can help them. And we're going to get more into that and how to do that. But just point number three, you can actually really help people by praying for them. All right, five reasons why we should pray for each other. Number one, prayer what? Works. Number two, prayer is the 
will of God. Number three, by praying, we can actually help people. And number four, because it helps us to love and care for those people for whom we pray. It helps us to love and care for them. It really does. Now, I'd like you to go to more or less to the end of the Bible. Before Revelation, go to 1 John and chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verse 18. Read that together with me now, please. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And praying is one of the best deeds you can do. If you look down here in verse 22, uh, John goes on and says, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. He, he tells us why. Because we keep his commandments, number one, and number two, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Two things there. Do the things that God has commanded you to do and do the things that you know will make him happy. And what will make him happy is to be praying for his children. Pray for other uh, believers and pray for non-believers as well because God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. You have to understand that our hearts are naturally not soft like God's is. His, his heart is a heart of love. Uh, we're kind of a mix often of hardness and softness. But by praying for people, it softens our hearts. So what we're saying is this, it helps us to love and care for the people that we're praying for. When you pray, five reasons why you ought to be praying, this fourth reason is because it changes your heart. It softens your heart, makes your heart more like Christ. And Christ had a heart of compassion. He did, he did, and still does. He does. And you and I, we need to get hearts like Jesus. And so by praying for them, you'll find over time that your heart will become more like the Heavenly Father's heart. Your heart will become more like the heart of Jesus. It'll be soft. Okay, so five reasons why we should pray for each other. Number one, because prayer. Number two, because it's the... Number three, because we can actually help people. Number four, because it helps us to love and care for people. Number five, because it makes us grow stronger in our Christian lives. It makes us grow stronger. If you're not a prayer person, you're not going to be a strong Christian. The stronger you are in prayer, the stronger you will be as a Christian. Now for this, let's go back to the book of Job. And Job is before Psalms. So go to the middle of the Bible. I'm just helping those who don't know where Job is. And uh, I'd like you to go please to chapter 42 right to the very end. You all know about Job. You know about his trials and what he went through and the poor guy, how he had everything and lost everything. And then he had three miserable guys who came and basically told him, where there's smoke, there's fire. Come on now, you're a sinner. You've got to be a wicked sinner because look what's happened to you. And Job was a righteous man. He loved God and worshiped God. And yet God allowed the devil to come and take everything he had, including his health. So finally, at the end of this ordeal, God starts talking to Job and starts explaining to him kind of where things are at. And the truth is, God is sovereign. 
We are the creation. He is the creator. And sometimes we forget that. And Job kind of forgot that a little bit. But as God talked to him and says, well, Job, you think you're so smart? All right, pull up a chair. Tell me, do you know this? No. Do you know that? No. Do you know how many are over here? No. Do you know when this happened? No. Do you know why that happened? No. And on and on and on, question after question, Job scored a big fat zero out of 100. And Job realized once again how dumb he was before God. That's exactly what you and I need to do, to realize how smart God is and how unsmart we are. We are sadly in need of his wisdom every single day. And you're looking right now at a man that desperately needs the wisdom of God every single day. And as God continues to pour his blessings on Grace Baptist Church, it puts more and more onus and responsibility and crying need for wisdom. Because this is a great church. And God has blessed us with a lot of wonderful blessings. And he's entrusted us with some wonderful things. And we can't go messing up on them. And that's going to require wisdom. Boy, I need you praying for me. And together, I think we can, we can do this. But what I want you to see here in the book of Job is that he became uh, stronger. He had victory by, through prayer. And so God told him to go and pray for those three crazy guys who caused him so much grief. Um, Let's see here, what do we got? Verse 9, Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamathite. What names, huh? Boy, how moms and dads used to name their kids back then. And so they had to do something. They had to go and, and uh, do a sacrifice. And look at verse 10. And I want you to read verse 10 out loud for me. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Boy, we like the sound of that, don't we? Ooh, that sounds good. But when it says he turned his bitterness, I'm sorry, his captivity, understand that Job was kind of a captive to some bitterness and to some barrenness and to some brokenness. This was his captivity. And he had those three miserable guys uh, breathing down the back of his neck. All this was part of his captivity. And the good news is this. By praying, through prayer, God gave release from the burden and he was set free from his captivity. Same thing will happen for us. You will find that things that seem to hold you down don't hold you down anymore as you become a prayer warrior, as you become more experienced and uh, spend good quality time with God in the prayer closet. You will get release and you will go stronger in your Christian life. Now, this alone should motivate you and I to become faithful to God in the prayer closet. We ought to leave here tonight thinking, man... Tomorrow morning, I'm going to make sure I get up an extra 30 minutes earlier, an extra 15 minutes earlier or something, and I'm going to start tomorrow. Some men and women, some great Christian men and women, believe it or not, spend three and four hours a day with God. You say, ah, oh, how could anyone possibly do that? Wow, I've tried praying, and after five minutes, I haven't a clue what to say. The pump is dry. The well is dry. I don't know. There's nothing more to say. I just twiddle my thumbs. How can someone spend that much time with God? Ah, oh, there's a secret to it, beloved. 
there's a secret to it. Boy, I've had some real sweet prayer times. Now, I don't spend three and four hours a day uh, with God, but I do spend a chunk of time. And you know, I, I wouldn't want to face a day without it. I wouldn't because it's addictive. When you get in close with God and you feel the presence of God and you, you, when comes time where you have to say amen and get up off your knees or off your face, you don't want to. You want to stay. You want to linger. It's like that song, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the flowers there. You know, and he walks with me and he talks with me. You know the song I'm talking about? Uh, I'd stay with the gar- in the garden with him, you know, but he bids me go into this world of woe, right? And so we can't stay there forever, but we can go there every day. And uh, that's what your prayer closet ought to become for you, is this wonderful Garden of Eden where you meet with the Lord. And the Christians that have tapped into this secret are the ones that end up spending 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours with God. I mean, any one of us can do it. It's not just the select few. Any one of us can do it. But we'll learn more about that. So I tell you a little secret. The devil cannot stand to be around a praying Christian. Flies never settle on a boiling kettle. Amen? The devil will leave you alone if you're a praying Christian. That ought to motivate someone here tonight. Five reasons why we ought to be praying for each other. Number one, prayer works. Number two, prayer is the will of God. Number three, we can actually help people. Number four, it helps us to love and to care for people. And number five, it makes us to grow stronger as Christians. Amen. All right. Section number two, sermon number two. How to pray effectively for other people. Now, if, if you haven't taken any notes, take notes now. I think that this will, will be a blessing to you and it will help not just with prayer, but in other areas as well. And I've got about four points here. Number one, maintain a clean heart. You're not going to pray if you've got a dirty heart. You have to have a clean heart. So that's point number one. For this, we're going to go to Psalm 66. Now, you're in Job. Right to the right is the first Psalm there, see? So there I am helping you. Psalm 66. Psalm 66. Psalm 66 and verse number 18. Now, verses 17, 18, 19, and 20 are all prayer. You see in verse 17, I cried unto him with my mouth. That's, that's David praying here. And so um, verse 18 is what we want. Let's read that out loud together. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now understand something. He's not saying, if I've ever committed a sin in my life, God's not going to listen to me. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, if I regard iniquity. Say, what does that mean? It means making excuses for your sin. It means looking upon your sin and saying, well, I'm going to make room for my sin in my life. I know it's not right, but I just kind of like doing it. I just kind of like it. And when you make provision for the flesh and you make room for your sin, 
all of a sudden your prayers bounce off the ceiling. Now you can't be a prayer warrior because your heart's not clean. It's like your heart, your heart is like a, a home and it's supposed to be Christ's home. And Christ should have free access all through your home. Can Jesus walk freely through every room in your heart? A man wrote a wonderful poem. I wish I had it memorized, but the name of his poem is My Heart is Christ's Home. And he talked about how that wonderful day when he invited Jesus into his heart and he got saved. And Jesus, he invited into the living room. And uh, he said, Lord Jesus, would you help me clean up this living room? Because there were things in there that were improper. And the Lord helped him clean that up. And then he thought, this is wonderful. Lord, I can come into the living room of my heart and I can enjoy fellowship with you. But then after a period of time, the Lord was asking, what's down the hallway? And I said, oh Lord, you don't want to go down the hallway because there's things there that you wouldn't like. And after a while, the Holy Spirit dealt with him and he realized, you know, that's, I'm just confining Jesus to the living room of my heart. And so with his, his head held in a little bit of shame, he invited the Lord down the hallway and asked the Lord's help to take down some of those pictures off the, off the walls of the hallway of his heart. And the Lord did. And the Lord asked, what's in that bedroom? Oh Lord, you've got access to the living room and down the hallway, but you don't want to go in the bedroom because there's things in there that have been there a long time. And I know that, you know, it's not a place for you. And after some period of time, the man realized, no, that's not right. The Lord needs to have access to wherever he wants to go. And so with the Lord's help, uh, he came into the bedroom and helped him clean up the bedroom. And finally, it uh, was a clean house, all except one closet. And there was one closet that held some dirty little secrets. And the Lord said, can I go in the closet? And the man stood in front of the closet and said, Lord, you can have access to anywhere else in the house, just not this closet. I've got things in there that I've had since I was just a boy. And I know they wouldn't please you, but I just can't bear to part with them. And to make a long story short, the Lord worked on his heart. The Holy Spirit helped him and he finally realized it's not right. I need to do this. And look all what God's done for me. And so he opened the door, the creaky hinges, and in that closet were some things that had rotted and molded and decayed, and the stench was horrible. But the Lord Jesus, in his love, helped him to clean out that closet. And at the end of the poem, boy, if you know this poem, this story, oh, wow, what a blessing. If you don't know it, you ought to look it up and read it through. And the end of the story was that he had a clean house. My heart is Christ's home. And so here we're talking about maintaining a clean heart. If there's sin in your life that you're making excuse for, oh, well, everyone does it. Oh, I'm just weak and I can't give it up. If there's sin in your life that you're making provision for, you're not going to be a prayer warrior. The devil knows it. And he's got you. He's got you. Say, what do I do? You need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I am helpless. I'm pathetic. You need to say, oh, wretched man that I am. Lord Jesus, I need you to help me. Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, oh, he's loving and kind, and he'll put a finger on something. He'll say, let's start right here. And that's where you start. 
You may have several rooms full of worldly things. The Holy Spirit will say, let's start here. And that's where you start. And then day by day or moment by moment, you, you work with the Lord and you open this area up and you give this area over. You do a little house cleaning. You get rid of certain things. You know, if you've got bottles of liquor in your home, you ought to get rid of that. One of my first battles after I became a Christian was all of the, um, the worldly music I had. I got saved in 1975 and uh, they didn't, they, the technology was different back then, right? Uh, we had these large round black things called records. And uh, we'd put those things on a record player, you know, and, and we'd listen to those things and just go crazy with that worldly music. And I was into that stuff because I was unsaved. And I, I wanted to be a man of the world. And finally, the Holy Spirit said, why don't we do something about this? And I thought, well, I guess you're right. It's not good music, is it? But then I thought, now listen, I'm sorry, this is just me, my worldly way of thinking. I thought, boy, look at all the money that I've spent buying all these records. Maybe I could sell them. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you don't want to sell your sin to someone else. It's a problem, and you don't want to burden someone else with that. Well, what are we going to do, Lord? And the Holy Spirit said, well, have you ever thought of breaking them over your knee? <gasps> was my reaction. Oh! And it took a while, and finally I remember standing in front of the garbage can with a stack of records. I can't do this. I can't do this. And the Holy Spirit said, try one. Just one. Just one. Wow. So I took the one that I, that I didn't like the most. <laughs> and so I broke it over my knee like that and I threw it in the garbage. You know what happened? I was electrified with power. Man, I said, that's easy. I did it. I can do it. I can do it. And without thinking, I grabbed the next one off the stack and broke it and threw it. And it became a game. And I was having a hilarious time getting rid of my sin. Did you know I used to smoke pipes before I got saved? Yeah. I used to smoke cigarettes, then cigars. Can you imagine me with a big honking, you know, cigar? Yeah, I used to do that filthy stuff and pipes and things. And I spent a lot of money on that crazy sin. And when the Holy Spirit said, let's get rid of this. And I thought, oh, maybe I can sell it. No, don't say that again. The Holy Spirit said, you don't want to sell your sin to some other person. Oh, you're right. And I remember having to get rid of that. And uh, boy, that one wasn't so easy because smoking is addictive. And the smell of uh, pipe tobacco can be very aromatic and very difficult to part, you know, to, to say goodbye. Anyhow, I did it. I did it by faith, not by feeling because I felt like keeping it, but I did it by faith. And that's what you have to do with those, those areas of sin. Because if your heart isn't clean, you're not going to be able to be a prayer warrior. Because every time, I'll tell you right now, every time you try to get serious with the Lord, all of a sudden, boom, your rock record collection comes right in front of your face. Your pipe collection with all your pipes and your humidor and all of those crazy things that you spent all that money on boom that comes up in between you and the Lord it's like you've got a handle on your back 
you know what a handle is, right? When you want to pick something up, a handle on your suitcase, it's like there's a handle on your back and you're trying to go toward the Lord and the devil says, hey, where do you think you're going? And he grabs you by the handle and he pulls you back. I've felt it. I've experienced it. I know what it's like. This is so important. Do not ever discount point one here is maintain a clean heart. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, it doesn't get easier than that. It doesn't get plainer and simpler than that. That's just the truth of it. So what do you do? You confess your sin quickly. That's what you do. You keep short accounts with sin. You keep giving your sinful habits over to the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry I did it again. Let me give it to you again. The devil says, you hypocrite, stop doing that. You're just a hypocrite. Don't listen to the devil. Look where he's going to end up. Where's he going to end up? Anybody know? Lake of fire, right? That's where he's going to end up. And, and you want to listen to his advice? That guy is going to burn for eternity. And he's giving you counsel. You're going to take his counsel. He's telling you, oh, you hypocrite. You know, uh, you, you can't pray. You just keep giving your bad habits and your sins over to, to Jesus. When he died on a cross, he knew what he was doing. And he suffered every drop and ounce of agony in hell that, that you rightfully should, should own up to and pay. Someone's got to pay for the sin. Jesus said, I'll pay for it. And on the cross, he experienced all of the pain and the agony and the separation from God and, and all of the suffering on the cross. And so keep giving your sinful habits over the Lord and to the Lord. And the, and the devil says, you're, you're a hypocrite. Uh, listen, you can't pray because you've sinned. Listen, imagine, imagine this. How, how does this sound? Listen up here. Oh, I'm sick. Oh, I'm really sick. Oh, my gizzard hurts. I got pain. Oh, I got pain down my left arm. I'm afraid of what that means. Oh, someone says, Pastor, go to the hospital. Go to the hospital quick, man. I'm too sick to go to the hospital. I can't go to the hospital. I got to wait till I get better. Then I can go to the hospital. You'd say, that's stupid. That's what you'd say. Oh, I'm too sick to go to the hospital. What, uh, what kind of craziness is that? Listen, God knows we have a problem with sin. He is the remedy. Your prayer closet is where you're going to get fixed. Oh, I've sinned. I can't show my face before God. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go anyhow. Because prayer is the, the cleanser. Uh, prayer is what will put you back in touch with God. Your prayer closet is what will help you to overcome that sin. And so by all means, go for, for the remedy. Point number two is keep growing in your personal walk with Jesus Christ. Number one is maintain a clean heart. And number two is keep on growing. Let's go to 1 Peter. Near the end of the Bible, 1 Peter Chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're talking this second sermon here, this second section, how to pray effectively. Well, number one, you need to maintain a clean heart. I hope we all understand that now. Number two, keep growing in your personal walk with Jesus Christ. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, 
and verse number two. Read it out loud with me, please. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Someone says, I'm not a babe. I've been saved for 10 years now. You think I'm a babe? I'm not a babe. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big boy now. Hey, I'm a big Christian. Well, good for you. But it says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, as babes do it, so you, in all of your maturity, still need to desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow. You'll never outgrow the Bible. As long as you and I live, we will never outgrow our need for the Bible. You could be 93 years old and still need the Bible. That's the way God designed it. As long as you live, you're going to still need air to breathe. You're going to still need food to eat, water to drink, a bed to sleep in. As long as you live, you're going to have these basic needs. And as long as you're a Christian, you're going to need the Word of God. Because that's what's going to make you grow. And so you need to grow. You need to never stop growing. The Christians who stop reading their Bible and stop praying are the Christians that stop growing. There are other things that promote Christian growth. So do your best uh, to attend church services Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday. Don't forget or forsake your church Read your Bible every day. Get alone with God. Even if you don't feel like it, do it anyhow. You know, it's like brushing your teeth or taking a bath or something. Well, I don't feel like taking a bath. Oh, trust me. Do it anyhow. Whew. There are some things we do in life. We just do. Whether we feel like doing it or we don't feel like doing it, we just do them. There are certain things in life. And growing in your walk with the Lord is one of those things. Support your faith promise in missions. Learn how to win souls by being part of Soul Winners University. Your prayer life will get stronger and better and stronger and better and stronger and better. So point one is maintain a clean heart. Point two, keep growing in your personal walk with the Lord. Point number three, pray intelligently. Pray intelligently. That means you've got to learn what the needs are. You've got to know what you're praying for. So many people, when they pray for their missionary, it sounds something like this. Lord, please bless my missionary, John and Jane Doe. Amen. My, what a prayer. What are their needs? I don't know. Well, find out what their needs are. They got prayer letters. Or, or email them and ask them, do you have any needs that I can pray for? Pray intelligently. Now you're in 1 Peter. Look at chapter 3. And I'll show you the principle here in chapter 3 and verse 7. It's an admonition to the husbands. It says, dwell with them. That's with the wives. Husbands are to dwell with their wives according to, what's that next word? Knowledge. It's the job of the husband to find out everything he can about his wife. Boy, do the wives ever like it when the husbands understand them. Their whole world just, ah, oh, they're at peace when their husband understands. Maybe the husband even doesn't have the answer to some of their problems. Sometimes wives come up with problems that 
Hmm, I think even Michael the archangel would scratch his head. Uh, but they don't necessarily always need a solution. But what they always, always, always need is a husband who understands. Even if the husband says, listen, honey, I wish I had a, a solution for you, but I, I don't know what to do either. But I sure understand what you're going through. Ah, oh, now at last, that's what meets her needs. But uh, anyhow, then we can go to the prayer closet and get a little wisdom what to do and to help. But the admonition for husbands is to dwell with wives according to knowledge. So husbands, find out everything you can about your wife. Find out what makes her tick. Find out what color her eyes are. Hey, how about that? A lot of guys don't know what the color of someone's eyes are. But women, they know what the color of people's eyes are. Women look at people's eyes. And uh, afterwards, you know, in the car home, you know, uh, she might say, well, what did you think of that dress that she was wearing? And he might say, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, well, I guess she was wearing something. She must have been. <laughs> well, didn't you see? You know, and she can tell you what color that, that woman's eyes are or that man's eyes are. He doesn't know. You know, he just, all right, okay, whatever, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, typical, right? That's not good enough. Gentlemen, we need to get to know everything possible about our wives. Everything. What makes them laugh, what makes them cry, their favorite foods. Uh, we need to go shopping with them. Hmm? You know, lately, because, um, because of um, my health, my wife has been doing a lot of the driving. Well, you know, you can learn a lot about someone by the way they drive. Yeah, anyhow. <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah, amen. She, uh, she's a good driver. She's a good driver. But she doesn't drive like me. You know, when we go into a bookstore together, I think I shared this with you. I look at the books that say how to, how to do this, how to do that, you know. She picks a book. I say, why'd you pick that book? Oh, look at the color. <laughs> it's so pretty. And she's right. It's a very pretty book. But then she'll take it down. Then she'll see what it's all about. Me, I want to see what it's about before I spend the energy to reach out and take it. <laughs> so we're just different that way. But there's nothing wrong with that. That's how God made us. So that's fine. But my job is to get to know everything there is to know about her so that no one in the whole world knows as much about her as I do. And I've learned that you don't learn all that in a week. You're working at it all your life. And even then, she can throw you for a loop. Ah, uh, well, anyhow, we need to use that same principle when it comes to prayer, and we need to pray intelligently. And so we need to take the time to find out what people's needs are, because different people have different needs. Quickly, number four. This is under the section here, how to pray effectively. Maintain a clean heart. Keep growing. Keep on growing. Pray intelligently, number three. And now this one is very important because many of us fail on this one. The devil gets us on this one. Number four is be prepared to pray consistently over a long period of time. Often we give up. We give up. For this, we'll have to go back to Luke chapter 11. In fact, I think this will be the last scripture we look at tonight. Luke chapter 11. This one is really important that we not give up because that's what we do. We give up and then we, we forget to pray and then whatever. 
I, I read a funny cartoon some years ago about uh, a young guy in church. And he comes to church and he's, he sees uh, that there's a, a missionary going to be the, the guest speaker. And he says, oh, that's the missionary that was here two years ago. <gasps> I promised I'd pray for him. Oh, Lord, please bless this missionary. And then he walks up to him and says, hey, missionary, I've been praying for you. <laughs> and shakes his hand. All oh, the games we play, huh? Well, we need to uh, do better than that. Now, Luke chapter 11. Please look at verse 5. Our Lord gave us this example here. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and shall say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend... That's relationship. Yet because of his importunity, that means persistence, keeps knocking on the door. You got to help me. You got to help me. Here's what's going to happen. He will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Verse 9. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Oh, and he goes on here and gives examples here. But the, the truth is this. It takes time to get some prayers answered. Some prayers will be answered right away, very quickly. Others will take a long time. What's the difference? Let me tell you. Prayer requests that require a change in a person's thinking or uh, an act of his will will take a long time because God will not override someone's will. We are creatures of free choice. And so when we're praying for someone to get saved and the months and the years drag by, oh, it's not working. Yes, it is. We just got to keep knocking because what God does is he takes his time to set things up. It takes a long time to change a man's mind sometimes. It can take a long time. And you're praying for that man to have a change of opinion, change of attitude, an act of his will. And that's what takes time. If you're praying for nice weather, that's different. That's different. Boy, God can just blow the clouds away like that. But when it comes to human beings, and we're praying that the governor will do this and the judge will do that, and our, our friend or our loved one will get saved, it can take time. And so you have to be prepared. So uh, remember that we're not trying to persuade a reluctant God. And this is important. Some Christians have the idea that God's up there with his arms folded, something like this, and saying, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Oh, I'm not sure, but I hear you, I hear you. I just, oh, no. Listen, I'm a busy God. I got a lot of places to go, things to do, people to see, decisions to make. I don't know if I, no, I, I, I'm just not sure. And there we are pleading, oh, Lord, please, please, please. And we're trying, we think we're trying to persuade a reluctant God to answer our prayers. That is not the case. God wants to answer our prayers, but the devil's got roadblocks. The devil's allowed a certain amount of leeway, 
and he's got all this resistance and traps and he's got castles built up, you know, in people's imagination, strongholds, and we're praying and what God is doing is he's slowly tearing down the castles. He's slowly paving over the rough spots. He's slowly building bridges or rerouting the traffic, that sort of thing, so that eventually the prayers will get answered. We've been praying and praying that God would uh, uh, give us a building. Our own land, our own building. The promised land, oh Lord, lead us to the promised land. Give us 20 acres and 10 buildings. How long have you been praying that, Pastor? Been praying for our own place for years. Almost, it's going on, uh, um, uh, let me think now carefully, mm, since 1919, next year is going to be 20 years that we've been working, serving the Lord here in Surrey. And for 20 years, we've been asking God to give us our own place. Ha! Nothing yet, eh? You'll be praying for 200 years. I got news for you. No, I won't. Hey, we'll be in heaven. We'll be in the millennial kingdom. Never mind. That's all right. I thought I'd get a stir out of someone. You never know about tomorrow. Maybe it's taken 20 years for God to get us into the right frame of mind to be praying, get enough of us burdened. Maybe God wants to do 20 acres. Maybe he wants to do a whole lot more. But it's taken God time to get us to a place of real burden and prayer and need. And then one day it's going to happen. And when it happens, it'll happen quickly. And then we'll say, praise the Lord, we didn't give up. You see, some things take a long time. So when you pray, be prepared for the long haul, particularly when you're talking people, when people are involved. Yeah, that's the problem there. Okay, now uh, remember also that prayer in general is a lifelong occupation, just like spiritual warfare. Sermon number three. This one is very short. We've spoken about five reasons why we should pray. We've given you four practical ways to pray effectively. Number, sermon number three, here are some suggestions what to pray for, particularly for your family. Number one, for husbands. Here's what I think that you should be praying for. Number one is spiritual growth. Never stop praying that uh, your husband grow spiritually. Pray for his health, for his strength. Pray for his general protection. When he walks out that door and gets in the car and puts the key in the ignition, you know, till the time he comes back home and puts the key in the lock and walks into the living room or something, pray for his general protection. Pray for his wisdom and his ability to make decisions. Pray for temptations. Pray that God would put a roadblock on those temptations. Pray that he would overcome temptations because everyone's got them. Uh, pray for tenderness with his family. Pray that when he comes home, he can leave work at work. And then he's a family man. Pray for tenderness with his family. Pray for balance in his schedule. Balance, that he doesn't get overbalanced doing one thing to the neglect of something else. Pray for his ministry at church. Now, there are other things you could pray for, but those are just a couple suggestions. For wives, pray for her spiritual growth because wives got to grow spiritually too. 
Pray for her physical health. Pray for her strength. Wives need a lot of health and strength. Pray for her mental sharpness. Pray for her emotional stability. Pray for her general protection. Pray for her wisdom, particularly if she's got to raise the children. She needs a lot of wisdom. Pray also for temptations. She faces temptations too. Pray that she can overcome them and that God would put a barrier there. Pray for her to have the meek and quiet spirit. Pray for her ministry at church. Those are just a few. There's other things that can be prayed for. For the children, possibly salvation if they're not saved. Pray for their Christian growth. Pray for their wisdom at school. And by the way, can I park the bus here a minute? Uh, the school system today is not what it used to be. There's uh, very little in the sense of um, the uh, Christian Judaic uh, morality uh, uh, system at school. The, the school system is really changed and uh, they're trying to reinvent what a human is. It's not male, it's not female, it's just whatever you want it to be. And uh, wow, that's, that's a lion's cage that the kids are going into. Oh, that the Lord would allow us to start our own Christian school where we could teach quality education. You say, how do you know you can teach quality education? Because we're doing it with Bible college students. We've proven that we have the ability to deliver quality education. We can do it. Pray that God would give us the opportunity one day to start our own Christian school where the children can learn quality education in a safe environment. A lot of bullying going on in schools too. Pray for the children, very important. Pray for their health and general protection. Pray that they have an obedient spirit. Pray for temptations because the children are facing temptations too, aren't they? Lots of them. Pray for their friends, that they can find good friends. Pray for their ministry at church. Even children need a ministry at church. Pray for their future service for the Lord. One of the best things, parents, you can do is put your children on the altar and say, Lord, you're the one who gave me these children. They belong to you. If you want them to serve you in full-time service, that's your decision, Lord. I won't stand in their way. And pray. Where do you think God's greatest leaders come from? From moms and dads who have put their children on the altar before the Lord. Pray for their career. Pray for their future spouse. Oh, they're too young. Never too young. Oh, my boy's only seven. My girl's only eight. Yeah, well, give 10 years. You know, they go by pretty quick, by the way. It doesn't take 10 years for 10 years to go by, it seems. <laughs> They're out there somewhere. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, God has the right girl for your boy and the right boy for your girl. They're out there somewhere. You just haven't met them yet. God knows who they are, so be praying for them. A lot of young people have done that, and when they finally come together and meet, boy, they're the happiest people in the world. There's other things you can pray for for your children, but there's a few examples there. Now, let's conclude this, and I want to suggest to you folks that we put into practice what we've learned tonight. If you've learned anything tonight, I want to encourage you right now to put it into practice. Come unto the altar 
and start praying for your family members and name them before the Lord one by one. Husbands, wives, children. If you have no family members, then come and pray for your friends. I want to encourage you to do it tonight. Start. Don't wait till tomorrow. You'll have forgotten a bunch of things. Start tonight. Come on the invitation. It's an old-fashioned altar. It's a family invitation tonight. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have some prayer. And then I want to encourage you to come and have a precious, special moment with God as you put into practice something that God has shown you tonight.